Hello and welcome to Not If I Reboot You First, the podcast that takes our favorite properties and reboots them before Hollywood has the chance to. It's a little bit like brainstorming fanfiction. I'm Lindsay and I use she, her pronouns. I'm Tanner, they, them. I guess this week we're writing RPF. Yeah, what is a biographical movie but an RPF? Exactly, backed by production companies. (laughs) Yeah, so um, this is a story I've been wanting to talk about for a while and I don't know maybe a backdoor pilot for when I eventually do my history podcast but that's just a ripoff of like the dollop where I tell my friends about horrifying stories from history <laughs> <laughs> um, so there was a dude by the name of Joe Beerley. Uh he was from Muskegon Michigan born August 25th 1923 he died in Toccoa Georgia on December 12th, 2004, at the age of 81. So he fought during World War II. He was actually with the 506 Parachute Infantry Regiment at the 101st Airborne, a.k.a. the Screaming Eagles. For some people out there, you probably know of that unit from uh, from a little HBO miniseries called Band of Brothers. (laughs) So, anyway, there had been some talk about including this guy in the main Band of Brothers miniseries, but for various reasons, mostly actor-related, the plotline was cut but also to be honest he deserves a bit more space okay because what happened i've never seen band of brothers i don't know the screaming eagles i know the shrieking eels that's fair um so the big thing about joe Burley and why he has never had his story told in film is probably because uh he is the only known american soldier to have fought with the soviets during world war ii Huh. Like alongside as part of a unit, and not just like some some of the poor Army Air Force pilots who were like attached to the Soviets for a little bit during World War II, and uh, kind of had a boring time. Okay. Yeah, no, this guy, this guy's kind of nuts. <laughs> so a quick rundown of his bio, aside from the basics: um, shitty life during the Great Depression. Dad lost his job, lost the house. His dad and his older brothers joined the Civilian Conservation Corps for money. Uh, He had an older sister who died of scarlet fever at 16. And yet, and yet, he's still able to succeed in school as like a top student, top athlete, got a Fulbright scholarship to Notre Dame and turned it down because his senior year was the same year that Japan attacked Pearl Harbor. Oh no, he caught the (laughs) patriotism bug. Well, he did wait until... June when he had graduated to join the army. Turns out being a top athlete kind of helped. I mean, yeah. Yeah. So uh, he specialized as a radio operator and as a demolitions expert. And he he was like one of those guys who uh, he got promoted quickly up to sergeant. And he helped a lot of people out. Like he would write down his shooting scores for people so that they would pass their tests. He would do extra jumps for people, you know. Doing solids, like you do in the army. Okay. And then he goes over to England for nine months more of training, so just sitting around, just doing whatever. And then a couple months before D-Day, there's uh, some squirrely stuff that has to be done in preparation for it. So um, he does some secret jumps into France with like 100 pounds of gold strapped to him. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the gold is meant to like help the resistance like buy shit because their money like the paper money is worth nothing right so yeah he's just like sure i'll do it 
<laughs> so he jumps, makes a delivery, and then spends two weeks running around France trying to not get killed. He almost got killed twice. <laughs> makes it back, and then does it again. Because why the fuck not? So then D-Day actually happens. And uh, so the pilots that were like actually flying the people over during Operation Overlord, which is like the, f- the dropping of the paratroopers, they were bad. They were real bad at their job. Oh, no. Everybody got fucking lost. It's a big... Because, like, the transport pilots were, like, the D-list students. Um, in courses that were already being cut for time. Because they just needed to pump out uh, pilots. So, oh, yeah. Dude has to make his jump uh, 360 feet or 120 meters above ground. So, basically, the parachute is just meant to make sure he doesn't break his bones at that point. Yeah. And he lands on a on the roof of a church <laughs> so he's got to get off of there but also there's a sniper in that church a german sniper <laughs> <He's> <laughs> uh-oh <laughs> so he manages to get off all under fire scurries off and then he realizes like he doesn't know what the name of the town is but he realizes that there's a power station and that power station is probably being used for like searchlights and other stuff that the germans are using he's got a shit ton of dynamite on him <laughs> <laughs> so okay hang on so like did they have a mission when they were being dropped in or were they just like okay go do stuff uh basically blow up a porn ship blow up bridges to make sure that the germans couldn't move to the beaches so just fuck them up d- they were just told to fuck them up and then yeeted out of a plane yeah okay <laughs> also he didn't have a map <laughs> because he wasn't what's called a stick leader <laughs> okay so yeah he has no fucking clue where he is He's just like, okay, there's a power station, gonna blow that up, which he does. And then he runs around for a bit more, sees so like, there's a big enough bridge, they could probably get tanks off of that. Gonna blow that shit up too! <laughs> <laughs> does some more running around the con- the French countryside, and this area, like, they use hedgerows to um, mark off fields and all that, so he, like, is basically, like, spawn diving through those. And he just so happens to dive through one into a German machine gun nest. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> so he does the smart thing and surrenders because he's like, well, I'm out of shit to use to kill all you fucks. <laughs> so he gets taken to a detention center for POWs. And they do a weird thing where they, they don't normally do this. Like in any army, they don't normally do this. They took his dog tags, his identification. He never knew why until much later. Okay. Um. So they were trying to like get German soldiers into American uniforms to wreak havoc among, amongst Americans. Uh, it was not successful this time. It was to far greater effect during the Battle of the Bulge. Um, so the dude who was given Joe's dog tags definitely didn't get that far because he got killed very quickly and mm-hmm. was buried. So now Joe's officially dead. Uh-oh. <laughs> Technically. <laughs> So he gets sent to a German POW camp in Germany, and after a while they figure out, okay, so we're actually so deep into Germany, we might as well be in Poland, and we know by this point the Soviets are coming closer to us, and instead of trying to get all the way across Germany, let's just go east. And there's a whole bunch of escape attempts start. Also, Joe is a problematic prisoner in that uh, he doesn't follow orders. He mounts off at the guards. He does all the shit that gets him constantly in trouble. An American going out of their way to piss off Nazis? Who would have thought? (laughs) Well, 
Well, maybe that maybe that would be shocking these days, but <laughs> yeah, well, hang on. Then... That, that that dig doesn't work. It's no. it, it, oh, it goes back to the thing I was talking about earlier, where uh, so, so many people involved in American military now they think fascism is bad just because it wasn't American. Sorry, like, I derailed. No. I went on a tangent. No, it's okay. Let it be known, anybody is susceptible to fascist thought. Yes. Okay? You just gotta constantly think about it. Also, Tanner, I want you to look at this guy's mugshot from when he was a POW because it is priceless. Remind me of this man's name? Joe uh, Beerley, uh, or Joseph Beerley. Uh, so Joseph spelled the English way and then his last name is spelled B-E-Y-R-L-E. Wasn't that the villain from Sailor Moon? That's Queen Beryl. Okay. <laughs> I mean, he obviously wasn't going to pose for it, but... <laughs> he looks like he's about to murder the cameraman. That is a face that says you're going to regret this. <laughs> Poor Hans is just shivering behind the camera. Yeah. <laughs> So he has a couple escape attempts. The first two don't go great. The first one, he doesn't get that far. The second one, he and his buddies, they decide to hop a train. They thought that they were heading east. They start heading north uh -oh. to Berlin. Oh, great. That's a great place to be this time of year. <laughs> yeah. So they get off. They try to persuade a local to, you know, help them out. And he's like, oh, yeah, sure. Immediately calls the Gestapo. <laughs> So anyway, they get taken to the Gestapo, who are convinced these dudes are not just POWs. They are spies. Because what the fuck are three Americans doing in Berlin? <laughs> You'd be surprised. Ameri America, Listen, Hans, American incompetence can get so far it loops back around to brilliance. Yeah, so they're being roughed up. They're this close to being executed. And who should fucking come to the rescue? But the German army saying, no, these guys are prisoners. We have the paperwork. <laughs> what? <laughs> the most German thing in the world. Fucking bureaucracy to the rescue. <laughs> so yeah, they get taken back. They're still not treated well. They're put into solitary. And then the Red Cross shows up for an inspection. And you can't have prisoners in solitary so they get taken out and that's their chance to escape unfortunately uh joe's two companions get killed in this escape attempt but joe makes it out he has to cross a freezing river because this is the middle of fucking winter mm -hmm. and manages to make it some distance into poland and then who should appear but the red army Yay, comrades! <laughs> so <laughs> the only Russian he knows is a Merikensky Tovarich. Hey, I'm an American comrade, and then like weighs them down with like a pack of lucky strikes because that's guaranteed. <laughs> <laughs> so like the first tank officer is like, uh, I can't help you, buddy, but like go down the line. You can probably find someone who can help you out. Whatever. And he comes across Alexandra Samusenko. She is so far the only known female tank commander of World War II. She's and a, she's not like other girls. <laughs> she's uh, actually pretty, 
pretty rad. Um, classically Russian, had a very tough life. Yeah, I, she yeah. was Russian. <laughs> yeah, she was from Belarus, which was the the part that was and still is being fucked over by its neighbors. Yeah. And itself. Um, so anyway, she's like, hey, you're cool, American comrade. Come ride with me. <laughs> <laughs> you're cool, get in. <laughs> so he's like, sweet lady commander. <laughs> 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 and they start heading towards where his POW camp was. Guess what Joe gets to do? He gets to liberate his POW camp. Yay! <laughs> he does what every other fuck there want- wanted to do. So he runs around, guns down some guards. There was probably like a, hey, hands, I'm back! Bang, bang. <laughs> and also rob the safe. <laughs> Because if there's anything that can unite capitalism and communism, it's stealing from the fascists. So instead of like being like, hey, maybe I should return to the 101st, see how they're doing. He's like, no, I like the Russians. I'm going to stick with them and fight and fight alongside them, which he does for a while until he gets, you know, injured and winds up in hospital. He's laid up, doesn't know what to do. Who should walk in but fucking Georgi Zhukov, Marshal Zhukov. Zhukov, the conqueror of fucking Berlin, one of the most decorated officers of all time, and he's like, who is this American who is in my army? (laughs) 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 So after explaining what has happened, Zhukov just like writes a note, basically, and it's like, show this to anybody, you can bum ride back to Moscow. (laughs) And like, he gets back to Moscow, he gets dropped off at the American embassy, and they're like, so, there's a bit of a problem. You've been dead for about, uh, getting close to a year. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, but it's me. I'm alive. So they have to do all the sort of back back and forth background checks. Finally confirm that he's alive. In the meanwhile, he is put up at, like, the fanciest hotel in Moscow, but there's a marine guard over him because they don't know if this guy's for real. And Joe's like, fuck this shit. I'm going to go back to... I can join my Soviet friends. So he tries to break out of the Metropole Hotel and fight some Marine. (laughs) (laughs) Eventually they clear this all up. He gets shipped back to the US. Next year in 46, he marries like his high school sweetheart or something. It's at the same church by the same priest, because this dude's Catholic, who conducted his funeral mass. Hell yeah. (laughs) And he lives a happy life. He has a good job. He returns to the Soviet Union six times to celebrate Victory Day because they're fucking rad. (laughs) (laughs) And then his son becomes the American ambassador to Russia during both the Bush and Obama administrations. (laughs) Wild. Yeah. That's why I want to make a dark action comedy out of this because I can't do a straight drama. (laughs) I would have to tone shit down. Yeah. So yeah, this will probably be short because I'm like, okay, who do I get to do a fucking dark comedy set during World War II? Well, my top choices are like Ryan Johnson, Armando Iannucci, Taika Waititi, and Edgar Wright. I'm leaning towards Armando because he really loves... He loves making stories about how bureaucracy just messes everything up for everyone involved. Yes. (laughs) 
<laughs> and I don't know, Jason Isaacs can return as, like, Zhukov because he already played him in The Death of Stalin. <laughs> <laughs> It's the it's the the Stalin cinematic universe. <laughs> and then the guy who should play Joe, I it didn't take me long to find him. I was thinking Wyatt Russell. I took one look at his mug, saw his chin, and I'm like, y- y- "You're Joe." He is pretty old, though. Mm. Like I I know I know the I know the process of being involved in World War II was going to age you up a lot faster. But, like, he joined right out of high school. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I, look, looking at his picture, I want to suggest Matt Cornett, okay. who might be too pretty. <laughs> Makeup and hair can help. We'll rough him up. We'll yeah. dirty him up. <laughs> Get right with the costuming department. You can make anybody look like, um, well, Joe Beerly wasn't that bad looking. He was, he was, he was pretty, he was 1940s yeah. pretty boy. Yeah. Um, and then he became a prisoner of war, so obviously, you know, he looked like Popeye for a good year or so. <laughs> yeah, and then he joined up with the Soviets on the Eastern Front. That adds automatically ten years. Exactly. <laughs> and as for Alexander Samusenko, I know that- Who's adorable, by the way. She's adorable. Yes. I was thinking Kristen Stewart, but I don't know. No, I can see that. Yeah. And I'm okay casting a little older for Alexandra because you remember when I said a few seconds ago that going through war ages you up? Being Russian also ages you up. Yes. <laughs> we have all seen like before and after pictures of people who went through World War II, especially on the Eastern Front. Unfortunately, Alexandra didn't survive. She died in March 43 or 45. Yeah. Yeah, and apparently she had joined the Soviet army at like 15, so <laughs> There were rumors that she was part of the Soviet contingent that went to the Spanish Civil War, but she would have been 13 at the time. That's (laughs) a little much, even for Russia. (laughs) So, yeah, dark action comedy. I think this could easily fit, like, probably an hour and a half. Yeah. And just speed through a couple stuff with some montages, probably, like, the training part. A whole bunch of the POW sh- shit, and then maybe some of like the the World War II battle stuff until he gets injured. Yeah, <laughs> and then I'm... Joe's weird car, like hitchhiking trip to Moscow. <laughs> yeah, I am thinking that like the when they manage to hop on the train, that like there'll be a more like Joe will be like, ah, oh, just you wait, boys, and a few days will be in wherever place, and then immediately Gillen cut to Berlin and the train yes! pulling up. <laughs> we don't even have a we're going the wrong way, it's just like, oh fuck. <laughs> um, I do think that like the when him and his fellow POWs escape and then the other two guys die, that can't be played for comedy. That we yeah. do need to show. We need some. Ho- we do need to get some horrors of war in here. It's not yeah. just a romp with the Soviets. I know, I know. It's called the Eastern Front. There's, there was one point when uh, he was on on the lam the final time to get to the Soviets, where he's like stuck in a um, he's sheltering in a farmhouse attic. And uh, he sees some people come by and they look like partisans. Turns out they're bandits and murdered the entire family that was living in there. Oh, shit. Yeah. 
So he just like very quietly stayed in the attic until he was sure that they were gone. So yeah, obligatory war crime scene there, and like one of his medals was for the liberation of Warsaw, and the less said about the liberation of Warsaw, the better. Yeah. Hankies can bite me. Yeah, I'm just thinking the a good chunk of the middle part would be the the worst possible things happening for him. Yeah, because um well, in his words, the uh, the Gestapo didn't treat him well. But then again, it's the Gestapo. So, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. What do you expect? I'm going to give them a terrible Yelp review. <laughs> like, it's from then that he got um, an injury to the head, according to his daughter. Um, so it wasn't, like, deep, like, into the head. It was more long along his skull. So he got a bad skull fracture, but, like, she could line up her finger against that uh, dent in his head and, like, cover it. And I'm guessing it was her pointer finger. Okay. Yeah, so, um, he didn't seem to have suffered too badly from it, but also the brain is a weird organ. Yeah. But yeah, the, the second act of the film is where everything is going terribly. A, f- a few brief comedy bits just from the bureau- bureaucratic nightmare. Um, yeah. But then we'll we'll let you know when things are going to start turning around and you'll get some emotional catharsis soon. Because yeah. as he <laughs> as he's just trudging through the frozen muck of Siberia, <laughs> then we, d- we just hear uh, the growing light mo- leitmotif of the, uh, no, the, the, the Russian orchestra <laughs> as he sees the Red Army approaching. <laughs> He's like, friends! Because <laughs> you know by that point he's half out of it. Also, um, another thing that happened during the third escape, you know how they initially got got away? He bribed the guard with two packs of Lucky Strike cigarettes. Okay, we have to have a scene of him just loading up on Lucky Strikes. Yeah! <laughs> this will get me anywhere! <laughs> Like, we don't condone the habit of smoking, but dear God, can Sig save your life? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like, I feel like when, when he sees, he's, he sees the Red Army, and he's, first he's gonna not think it's real. Yeah. And then he's gonna realize that it is, and he's gonna do, like, the quick pat down of his whole thing, and he pulls out, like, the last box of Lucky Strikes, and it's in pristine condition. Yeah. <laughs> Never been touched! And then, and he runs over. And he's like, "Ah, I'm a friendly. I'm a friendly." And then immediately, like five, five grizzled Soviet soldiers swing their guns at him. And he's like, "Uh, Amerikanski comrade, Amerikanski tovarich," and like slowly he raises his hand with the packet of cigarettes. And, and they're, they're like, "Nah." <laughs> Just international language of "Hey, I'm not a threat." <laughs> but no, but also I th- I think it would be funny if they're like, "Would none of us speak English? Go talk to Alexandra." And he's like, "But you just spoke English to me now." No, no, we're all terrible at English. You need to go talk to Alexandra. <laughs> <laughs> and he's got to have a moment of like, ah, an angel. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you know who would be a great Alexandra and is closer in age? Maisie Williams. 
Oh, yeah. Like, they almost have the same face shape, even. Yeah. And she would actually fit well. And Okay, the tank that Samusenko was using was a, an American tank that was part of the Lend-Lease program, but, like, the classic Soviet tank is the T-32, and boy, howdy, is that uh, cockpit tiny. And Macy Williams is all a five foot one. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it goes into a lot of Soviet design. When the Soviets would like get their fresh batch of recruits in, they would like line them up from tallest to shortest. The shortest people would go into the tanks. The tallest people would be infantry. Ah. And this entire mindset of strength and speed at the expense of space went into their rocket design. Yuri Gagarin was five foot two. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, the glory of Soviet engineering, made possible thanks to short kings. <laughs> Starvation in youth was good for, the, for us. <laughs> and then, yeah, pretty much it. Probably have a montage near the end of uh, older Joe with all of his medals because he got like a whole bunch. He looked like a North Korean general <laughs> when he would go to like these uh, anniversary events. And I don't know, he's just hanging out at a Victory Day parade, which is like a grand affair in Red Square with a whole bunch of missiles just like being driven by. <laughs> Mostly just going around in a circle to make it look like they had more missiles than they actually had. (laughs) (laughs) Especially true in the Brezhnev era. (laughs) And yeah, that's it. That's pretty much all I got. Yeah, I mean, it's there's not much wiggle room in a biopic other than, I guess, embellishing the more ridiculous aspects this time. Yeah, for comedy's sake, but like, it, it would not take much. The comedy kind of writes itself. Yeah. It's like with, well, the death of Stalin. All of the people involved, aside from being, like, fucking terrible and thus a source of great joy for us, the audience, the events were so ridiculous that, like, you kind of don't have to exaggerate anything. All that Armando Iannucci did and all that the scriptwriters did was compress the events down to, like, a little... to about a month. Okay. So, Yeah. I don't know, Peter Capaldi could show up and, as something and just start swearing the fuck out of nowhere because before he was the doctor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> just complaining about all the American kids that he has to train for the paratroopers and then he's not even training them, he's just complaining about it. He's the guy who pulls the lever that just drops everyone out of the plane. <laughs> <laughs> as, as a big band cover of It's Raining Men plays. <laughs> That's what we use for the trailers. <laughs> <laughs> One other idea I had for a scene would be when Joe lands on the church. Like he can he can start like trying to do a quick prayer, like, oh thank you, Jesus, you saved me the land of the church, blah, blah, blah. and then you should just hear the sniper shaft go up and he's just like, ah <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, that sniper wasn't a good shot because honestly, the guy is fucking attached to the steeple. Yeah. <laughs> he probably at some point after getting off the off the church roof was like, how did the motherfucker miss? <laughs> <laughs> I f- oh, I feel like we should get a scene of the guy and he's like, he's, he's trying to line up a shot with him and he's like, you know what? No, I'm tired. <laughs> Fuck this. 
So a quickie for this week. Yay. Also because like I am tired and I gotta move my dad in. I just realized I gotta shovel out the out the parking space. Fuck. Ugh. That's a Friday job. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can do it after D D. Yeah. I guess if that's all we have for this week, then uh, we're going to uh, see what's happening with our comrade promo. I love Christmas all year. I also love music, and I've been working on an idea that I hope you'll love. Hi, I'm Dwayne Bailey from the Christmas in New Zealand Facebook page. And with the help from Brian Earl of the Christmas Past podcast, I'm excited to introduce the Tinsel Tunes podcast. In this podcast, some of the episodes will focus on one song and the various versions of it. Some will be about the artists and the Christmas songs that they have done. And I'll also be recording some themed episodes too, so I'll try to mix it up a bit. We will dive into the origins of the songs, discover some interesting facts, and hopefully learn more about some of the songs we hear every year. Some songs or artists may be your favourites, or perhaps some will drive you crazy. Or maybe you'll find some new favourites. Search us on Facebook and Instagram for Tinsel Tunes Podcasts or through our website tinseltunes.com or by email at tinseltunespodcast at gmail.com at any time. Thank you for downloading and listening to this intro, and don't forget to find the podcast links on our website, and keep an eye out for our first episode, the 25th or 26th of August. Cheers, and Merry Christmas. Oh, and by the way, I have enough bloopers to to add another five minutes onto this. Perhaps I might do that in the future. All right, Lindsay, where can you be found on the internet? I can be found on Twitter at lindsaym476. That's Lindsay spelled with an A, and you can get to all my other social media bullshits from there. Tanner, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at SparkyUpstart and Instagram at SparkyYoungUpstart. You can also find this very podcast on Twitter at N-I-I-R-Y-F-Pod. Those are the letters for not if I reboot you first, and they're pronounced... uh, I I, I don't know. (laughs) It's okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, you can also email us at not if I reboot you first at gmail.com or you can send us your comments, critiques, criticisms, and what you would do for a Hershey bar. That's a real deep Band of Brothers cut. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's also where you can send us a friendship promo, be it an audio clip or a proof for us to read. Either way, we'll put in a free ad for your podcast or YouTube or even your DeviantArt. Not if I reboot you first is a member of the Corner Podcast Network, and you can talk more about this show or others on the network via our Corner Podcast Discord. Our cover art, as always, is by Alex, and her work can be found on ptchew.com, and our theme music is done by our friend Sean Clake. You can contact us to find out how to contact him if you like music of his own for your own. This podcast was recorded on Treaty 4 territory, the traditional lands of the Cree and Saltal, Assiniboine, and Métis. And last but not least, don't forget that you can buy this episode for yourself. It is not an NFT, it is just your name on a spreadsheet, but for a $5 donation to the North Central Family Center, link in the description, we will declare that you are the owner of this podcast episode, or any episode you so desire. So Tanner. So Lindsay. What do you have planned for us next week? Well, next week is the People's Choice episode, and the people have chosen for me to go on a date with Tad Hamilton. Ooh! Next week, I am going to fly to L.A., 
and I'm going to be caught sub off guard by the fact how everyone has a cell phone and there's women in bikinis and children on leashes and $9 lemonade. Uh, and then I will have a dinner with Tad Hamilton and learn that the stars are just like us. And when I come back, I'll have an intimate report on what he smelled like. But until then, we'll see you next week. But not if we reboot you first. Bye. Bye.